Welcome to Nighttime Conversations with Stephen Freya, unscripted and unrehearsed. We take on the deeper subjects of love, romance, sex, and personal happiness. I'm Steve McElwain, and I'm with Freya Jordan. Hi, Steve. Hey, Freya. Great to hear you tonight. Good to hear from you. So I wanted to talk about something a little bit different than what our normal conversations are about. And <clears throat> it was inspired by something that's happening right now. Um, I'm seeing it mostly on Facebook, of course, because with COVID-19, um, that's where the majority of my interactions and my exposure to people is. And there is this big push to hustle and to be extremely productive now that a lot of us are not working or have had our work interrupted. And I'm one of those people who my work uh, was completely disrupted and I was um, not seeing clients at all for months. And um, with that, there seemed to be two camps um, as far as people go. And it was, hey, these are very trying times. Um, do what you can do to get by and give yourself a break. And then there was the other camp, which was like, hustle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hustle no matter what and do as much as you can in this almost religious productivity craze. And I noticed myself feeling extremely guilty and inadequate because I was, uh, I was struggling. I was yeah. struggling to survive and I certainly was not hustling. And even if I had tried to hustle, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere because I didn't have it in me. Yeah. And um, the guilt of that was, you know, this is where I brought it up to you. I told you how, how bad I was feeling and kind of how guilty and inadequate I was feeling. And you started to say something very interesting and I stopped you and said, Steve, can you make a podcast about this? Because I think this is very important and I wanted more people than just me to hear it. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. So, so I'd like to structure this in uh, in dividing our conversation into two parts. So I'll be in one podcast, but in two parts. The first part, let's talk about the whole concept of being productive slash busy, and all that encompasses how we think about it, how our society judges us by it, how how we react to that, and then let's bring that conversation. Once we close that off, let's relate that to. Uh, your happiness, well-being, and your relationships, because that's what we, you and I talk about as the meat of our ongoing topics. So we'll be talking about being productive and then relate that to how does that relate to happiness, well-being, and relationships. That sounds great. And I'd really, uh, I'm actually very excited to discuss how being productive and busy, particularly being busy, because it's almost more (laughs) about the busyness. I'm so busy, so busy. Um, and, and how that affects uh, your ability to relate to your partner so yeah. and, and your family. And right. this, relate, this relates to COVID as well. So it's, uh, we're, we're actually going to be talking about a number of things, including uh, the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationship we have with our partner, if you're partnered up, if you're living with somebody, as well as uh, during these COVID times, um, what is that looking like in the context of being busy and, and uh, being productive? So a number of topics there. So let's start off with uh, getting a, an idea of what does it mean to be productive? Uh, that, that could be nebulous. Uh, so um, I'll offer these thoughts is that uh, historically and even today, what pro- productivity usually means is it's tied to the concept of being ambitious or industrious. Uh, you'll often hear the top, uh, the, the phrase of uh, make yourself useful. Uh, so it, that can be boiled down to the idea of creating value. 
So what am I creating? Uh, what and, and that sponsors the question of what is it that I value? So the easy metrics for this in our society, in our Western world, is uh, the concept of generating value, generating dollars. And that's easy to measure because if you're seeing a paycheck, if you're seeing income coming in, then you can say, yeah, I'm being productive because I've generated uh, four grand this week. That's really good. Or I've generated no income. I'm not being productive. So that's the basic thought of what does productivity mean? Generating some value. And, and that value is usually monetary? Yes. Usually monetary, but doesn't have to. Do you have any okay. thoughts on this about what productivity means? Uh, no, uh, what you're saying makes sense to me. I'm just okay. making sure that I'm understanding it correctly. Great. Okay, so that word value can have a number of different meanings besides money. So money is the easiest way to measure it. I've generated X dollars. Some of the less tangible things that apply to relationships are uh, things such as long-term investments, such as imagine a parent with really small children two, three-year-olds, and the dad saying, what value is it spending time with the kids? Um, do, do, you know, the, I'm not getting a return on my investment. And the answer is, well, the value is, you'll see this long-term, is right now in this moment, if you tend to your lawn and your beautiful house and your car, you'll end up seeing, immediately seeing the results. You'll see the, a shined-up car, you'll see a manicured lawn, you'll see beautiful gardens. That's an immediate feedback. But the longer-term stuff, such as relationship with my partner or relationship with, uh, with my kids, you won't see that. So we typically don't think of those things as value. So here's the history. Here's some of the history of this productivity mindset that we have. So we live in a, a society that values money, and there's reason for that is that it becomes really difficult to live if we're not making an income. So it's easy to say, well, I need money to pay bills. I, otherwise, I'm homeless. I have no food. True stuff all meaningful. So we typically focus on the money aspect. That has a history though, is that during the industrial revolution, um, something called the Protestant work ethic was invented. And times were very different a few hundred years ago during the industrial revolution, is that wealthy landowners became wealthy factory owners. Only the people that had huge amounts of capital could afford to create a factory. And the people who used to be peasants in the fields working the land now became peasants working for factories. So they were generally very poor people working in factories, long hours, uh, typically six and a half days a week. So that was the norm 200 years ago. People literally died of exhaustion and that was seen as normal. Well, you just die. Oh, okay. So you used to die in the fields. Now you're dying in a factory. That was seen as normal. So these wealthy factory owners um, wanted to make it easier to have resources, cheap labor available to them close by, and they built housing for these people to rent. So instead of working the land, people would move to cities and towns and they would live in these little rental places that the factory owners owned. So part of that whole structure of what the factory owners were creating included schools and churches. And of course, the factory owners had a big say in what was being taught in their schools and their churches. These were not public facilities. They were privately owned by the factory owners. So part of what was being taught a few hundred years ago in the Industrial Revolution was the concept of work is godliness. Industrial, industriousness, productivity is godliness. So poverty is God's punishment for you not working hard enough. And that thought is still with us today in the 21st century. There are a lot of people who um, you'll typically see these in uh, conservative religious groups where they are judgmental of others for not being productive, uh, for not generating dollars. 
uh, there'll be judgment on them, such as poor people are poor because they're lazy. If they only worked hard enough, they'd get rich like me. And although people might not, yeah, although people might, (laughs) although people might not articulate that specifically in those words, is that that belief is widely held that the poor are poor because they're lazy. So I'll save that for another podcast as to why people are poor and, and, Science has actually shown through extensive research that poor people are poor because of lack of money. And that sounds obvious, but that lack of money doesn't come from lack of of industriousness or from being lazy. It usually comes, almost always comes from obstacles standing in their way, such as we don't hire you unless you've got this degree. Well, I came from a poor family, so I never got my master's degree. Sorry. Um, We don't hire you unless you're from this ethnicity because if you're white-skinned, we think of you as more smart than someone who's dark-skinned. That happens in some cultures. And the list goes on and on where the poor aren't poor just because they're not working. They're poor because there are many obstacles in their way. So that's some of the judgment. Um, Here's another example of being productive. Imagine somebody who does something for eight hours a day and they're not generating money. Got that? Okay. I'm a woman and a mother. So So imagine imagine somebody who's playing Xbox for eight hours a day. We say you're lazy. You're not being productive. Imagine someone who's in university reading books and studying for eight hours a day. And we say, yep, you're good. They're doing something for eight hours a day. And we have judgment saying this is bad. This is not valuable. This is good. This is valuable. So we label non-productivity in a bad way. It's purely a judgment call. We label somebody who's playing Xbox as lazy and bad and you're a no good person. But if your nose is buried in books, we say that's good, purely judgmental. And many people listening might be going, well, but that's true. So here's a thought for you. What if that same person is the guy who's getting straight A's, guys or gal who's getting straight A's in university and just happens to be burned out and going, oh, man, I'm just tired. I don't feel like studying anymore. I've been studying for exams now for uh, two weeks. I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to veg all weekend. Um, Somebody might look at that and go, well, you should be studying. Exams are just a week away. It's purely judgmental. So this idea of productivity, typically connected to the dollar signs, is also connected to um, how we view people as prospective partners. So I'm not saying everyone is like this, but it's not uncommon for a female to look to a male as a provider. doesn't always happen, but it's not trivial the percentage of people that actually think that way. Does he make a good income? So if you say, I know a guy, Dave, he's single. The guy's making a quarter of a million a year. That's a bragging point. And that alone may not be enough to get Jane interested in Dave, but it might be enough to go, well, what else do I know about him? What else can you tell me about him? However, if you start off with a conversation, I know a guy, Dave, mind you, he hasn't worked in two years and he's uh, really on the dining notes, but he's brilliant. He's creative. The guy's just, he's good looking. He's so, he's so attentive. He's such a wonderful person to talk to. That one thing of hasn't been working for two years and is down on his luck on you financially might be the deal breaker for many people to say, I don't want that in my life. And I'm not judging to say that's wrong or we shouldn't be that way. I'm saying that's how deeply productivity is ingrained in our society. Where those uh, okay, but, but I do want to say, now having a bit of life experience, um, particularly for, let's just say a woman, um, who's often judged for evaluating men and you know, their productivity, if a woman wants to have a child with a man, um, to have a man who doesn't work 
and who doesn't really do anything yeah. is not a safe bet yeah. because she can't parent him financially support the family and the children all at the same time. Yeah. So there are some practical reasons to value productivity as well. Yeah. And, and yeah. here's me, here's me defending my, um, my own productivity judgments. Yeah. And, and they're right. I'm not arguing with you. You're absolutely right. Is that life gets a lot harder when financial strain is upon us without a doubt. Mm-hmm. So Topics, someday we'll talk about happiness and, and that whole thing specifically. Uh, the research I've come across says that on average, measured in $2,009, which is you know about a decade ago, that if you had, if a household had approximately $60,000 US in an average US state, average US town, that below that, the further you get below that amount within a household, the harder it gets to make your ends meet. And there's a lot of people there, but that just demonstrates how uh, you need a basic amount of money in order to just get by. And below that, you will experience hardships related to the basics of getting by. And that is, can I afford food? Can I afford rent? Uh, the real basics. Can I afford transportation to get my food? Just the mm. real basics. It gets harder. And so obviously, as you get much less and less money, it gets progressively harder and creates more strain. Uh, the flip side, though, is that... Um, Money above that is not proportionally related to how much happiness it contributes. So if you imagine somebody's making 60 grand in Canada or the US, imagine somebody's making 60 grand and they get a raise of 20 grand. That's not trivial. That's a 30% increase on your salary. That sounds great. And temporarily you'll have a blip and, uh, you'll have an increase of, of a feeling of well-being and happiness. You'll feel better temporarily, but within a fairly short time, somewhere around six months to a year or two, you eventually go back to your normal again and you get used to that additional amount of money and it becomes your new normal and you're no more happy now than you were two years ago. So it doesn't have a lasting effect. Uh, same thing happens with huge jumps of money. Uh, if you win a lottery and you get a million dollars, um, it, it's, there's a temporary blip and then eventually, not too long, you return to who you used to be. And that is, if I was feeling unhappy before the money, I'll feel unhappy after the money. So coming back to the productivity thing, yeah. um, what, what is, is there anything behind this idea that unless you are being, that it, no, no, if you're not being productive, there must be something inherently wrong with you. Yes. Like, and by, by productive, I mean, you know, I, I guess financially productive because, for example, I did some really nice things. I spent a lot of time doing stuff I love, like hunting for mushrooms and gardening. And I went camping for a couple of weeks and, and I did things that were really great, but I didn't <laughs> do things that would make me a lot of money, which is where yeah. the guilt was coming in. And I wondered, you know, am I unable to focus on making money because it felt like something was wrong with me? Yeah. So is that, a, is that true? Is that a construct? Like, what's that about? There are a number of truths in that. So I'll present a number of them, and they might yeah. appear contradictory. There's, there's actually a number of perspectives. One is the self-judgment that we have. Uh, because we are in this culture, we've been raised in this culture that is so money-oriented, we start beating ourselves up if we're not generating money. Uh, and we might even feel afraid that things are going to get really ugly for me because of lack of money, so we beat up ourselves even more. Uh, so the best scenario, imagine somebody who's got ample reserves in their bank account. So if you're without money for a few months, say half a year, you're still fine because I can cruise. It's fine. I've got reserves I can tap into. Imagine that scenario. Those people can still feel bad when they're not being, quote, productive, end quote. 
they can feel bad and hard on themselves and feel guilty. They might even be restless and not be able to sit and be with themselves because they're beating themselves up for being not productive. That's part of their indoctrination. It's interesting, interesting you say that because I, I just recently was in a discussion. It was kind of a group discussion. And there was a guy there who had, um, he was only 45, but he was extremely successful business-wise and he'd retired. And um, his wife also was very successful business-wise as she owned this big business. They had a bunch of uh, real estate investments. So he retired, which he wanted to do because he really worked hard. Yeah. Like, just worked his body into you know almost breakdown and after a few months she was like you have to get out there and get working again because they couldn't handle him not working hard all the time yeah six days a week day in and day out yeah so um let's talk about that yeah yeah <laughs> some relationships are tolerable or or fun or acceptable or nice if you don't see a lot of your partner um, so that means in small doses, it's great. Uh, larger doses, such as COVID, might become stressful. And the typical uh, and easy conclusion to come to is, I'm just getting too much of my partner. Uh, that's the easy thing because you don't have to think about it beyond that point. Uh, I would encourage people to say, what is it about your relationship that makes more of your partner a unpleasurable experience? Yeah, but that's not really that's not really a problem, though, is it? If, you're, if you have the ability to choose not to be together all the time, because I'm like, and I'll just say I'm a major introvert. Yeah. There's nobody on this planet that I would want to be around all the time. Yeah. So, and But I don't think that's not okay. I think that's fine. It just yeah. means don't choose to be around people 24-7. Yeah. So an easy answer is if you are in a relationship and you're with somebody during COVID and it's difficult, then get a break from them. If if that's what you feel you want. And as long as they're okay with it, as long as you're both okay with it, then great. Have a break with each other. Go to separate rooms in the house. Spend less time with each other. Um, try, perhaps leave the house and do something else that you might like doing outside of the house, tending your garden or whatever that might be. Uh, you're right. It's, it's not a defect to say, I like my alone time. But to get back to your uh, the scenario you were describing is you've got to get back to work. If that is based on I'm spending too much time with you. I'm not liking having you around. I would encourage people to look at that more deeply. It could be there's could be some sort of difficulty going on there. I was kind of relating it to the stress of not working, like yeah. feeling antsy and feeling like, you know, because I'm not making a lot of money. Yeah. There's something wrong. So let's talk about that. Um, one possibility is that the, the money really isn't a problem. So, uh, a person who has financial reserves and can tap into. So let's take a person who has a, normally has a steady stream of income and it's it's comfortable and they can do savings. They can uh, put it into their retirement plan. Uh, that's all fine. That's all secure. And temporarily, they're out of work. So they're out of work. Don't know when they'll get back into work again. They can easily afford to cruise for a while in this scenario. Those people might feel uncomfortable because they're not generating money, even though they have reserves, and even though there is no genuine financial strain, in their mind, they're uncomfortable because they're not generating money. And that's not an uncommon scenario. And does that come from this? Does that come from our, you know, the whole idea of the Protestant work ethic? Or yes, is that it, else? it, it can, can come in large part from the Protestant work ethic. I've got to be working. It could come from that. It could also come from uh, strongly identifying with your work. 
So I would encourage people to ask yourself, is it the money that I need? Is that what I really need to do or do I need to get back to work? Regardless if they paid me or not, I just want to work. Well, one of the um, one of the things in the human givens, there's a list of human givens, and I've linked to that website before. I'll link it again um, at the bottom of this podcast, but the resources of, for the podcast is that it doesn't say that a human given is that they need to make a lot of money, but what it does say is that we have to be involved in something that creates meaning. Yes. So it may, you know, a person may not need to make lots of money in order to be, let's just say, psychologically well or healthy, but I do think that they have to feel like they're doing something meaningful. Yeah, something valuable to me, yeah. Well, well, uh, not just to you, to, to society at large. I, I would that, challenge that was a that was a part of it. Okay, I would challenge that uh, because I I could easily imagine someone who is, uh, and that's a good question to ask too. Is what does it mean by society at large? Because the scenario is about to present to you is imagine a guy who's a musician and he's making enough money doing whatever he does, possibly not even through music, and uh, he loves making music. That's his real passion, and he spends a lot of his time in his bedroom doing recordings, and he just puts it out onto YouTube for free and just puts it out in the world, and he gets joy through that. Uh, somebody might interpret that as uh, he's donating a lot of value to the world by putting out his music for free. Uh, that's one perspective. Another is I'm looking for exposure. What I really need is exposure, and I need the accolades from people to to approve of me and say, wow, you're really great. You should get a recording contract. That's another possibility. Uh, but the idea of what am I generating of value, it could be as something as simple as, am I loving what I'm doing? And the value could be, I love my garden, and no one else benefits from that. Society isn't benefiting from it, but I really love my garden. That's a possibility. I'm getting silence. What do you think? Well, I, I'm thinking that it's not exactly what I meant. when, okay. um, Like, f- for example, I know you're using that because I do love my garden and I love gardening. Um, I wouldn't say that I find, like I find personal joy in my garden. I don't find my garden of value in the way that I was talking about, though, mm-hmm. as far as um, participating in something that has a bigger, that's something that's more than me. Okay. Yeah. And I think that um, I would tend to agree with with that aspect of the human givens. I think you may, just based on our conversations, you may disagree mm-hmm. in terms of the um, needing and wanting to be part of something greater than ourselves. Yeah. You would be a little bit more self oriented versus um, greater than self oriented, and, and that, that's that greater than self might be something as simple as just connecting with other people in some way. Hmm. Yeah, so if we understand it that way, I'm totally on side. Is that so? Where yeah, so where I was relating that was yeah. was mainly to to work and where, okay, so needing to be productive may not always be um, useful or healthy, but or right. needing to be useful may not be useful. <laughs> yeah, but but being part of something greater. Yeah, I think is not all bad. And that's being something part of something greater doesn't have to be under the productivity umbrella is that we can be part of something greater and still feel really great just sitting for extended periods of time and doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So how does this affect our relationships, this sort of need to be always striving and being busy and being productive? Well, 
uh, the first thing I want to mention about that is uh, I, I want to do a recap on what trauma is. A short recap is that trauma is not an event. Trauma is something happens and our mind reacts to it in such a way that causes us long-term to live a life that is diminished or restricted. And trauma can cause us to have addictions. And an addiction isn't the substance itself. It isn't marijuana itself. It's I need to have five joints a day or else I'm not feeling good. There are people that can have one every while, you know, have a, a, a joint once every while and feel totally fine and just enjoy it recreationally. There are people that can have a glass of wine once in a while and feel totally fine. But if you need to drink a bottle of wine a day, that start that becomes the addiction. So I'm I'm now separating the activity from the addiction. So just because it's alcohol doesn't mean it's addictive. Mm -hmm. So an addiction is an activity that a person does so that they feel better in the short term. And that better means either avoiding pain, soothing the pain, or distracting from the pain. Short term, there's a benefit. Long term, there's a detriment. And the person can't seem to stop. So this relates to the concept of productivity. In some cases, people are workaholics, and workaholism is one specific form of addiction. It's needing to be productive, and I cannot sit. I just cannot be at rest. I just cannot not be doing something. I've got to be busy, got to be busy, got to be busy. That is often a, a product of a mind that is just not at peace with itself. Because when I sit down and do nothing for a few hours, my thoughts start coming up and that's uncomfortable. Don't want to do that. Got to get back to my woodshop. Got to get back to my job. Got to get back to the laptop and check in to see if the office needs anything. All that stuff relates to productivity on one hand. It looks like productivity. On the other hand, it's an addiction where I'm using that productivity in air quotes as a tool to stay away from something that is painful within me. And uh, a really good example of this is uh, the famous Dr. Gabor Matei. In his lectures, he talks about how he was an extremely successful doctor. He was working 14 hours a day at the hospital, and people looked at him and said, what a dedicated guy. He is just so awesome. He's just putting his whole life behind his practice, and his patients loved him. And he went on talks. He did performances and did talks about his work. The audiences loved him. And he says, I was great at that, and I was getting everything I wanted. I got the accolades. I got the recognition. I was saving lives. I was being a very successful doctor. And I was being a terrible husband and a terrible father. I didn't have much time around my kids or my wife. And I didn't know it at the time. And his story is not an uncommon story. So a lot of times people believe they're doing something or at least talk themselves into justifying what they're doing, saying, you know, I'm working hard for my family. Um, yeah. And often what they're doing by working incessantly is avoiding their family and avoiding things which are less comfortable than working. Yeah. Such as being present with the family. Because you know what? It brings up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like our families kind of bring up all of our shit. Yeah. When I was in my early 20s, I was striving to build my financial career. And I was doing it really well. I was in my early 20s and I was doing double the, the as a single guy, I, I myself was earning double the amount of an average Canadian household when I was about 22. And a friend of mine said, you know, the reason why you're a workaholic is you're not at peace. And I looked at him like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to, to build my financial empire. And he said, well, if you were at peace, you could easily just take a day off and, you know, sit in the park and look at the clouds go by and look at the birds or sit, sit at the beach and watch the waves. 
And I was thinking, that's so bloody boring and I'm not making money. I want to build my financial empire. It took me decades to realize how right he was. Is I have a lot of addictions. I've had a lot of addictions throughout my life. Workaholism was one of them. And many of my addictions looked like I'm productive, I am busy. So the external eyes would look at it and go, man, this guy's really good at what he's doing. He's, uh, he's working 90-hour weeks, and he's generating a ton of wealth. He's going to be retired in a few short years. This guy's really on the ball. It's temporary, temporary hard work in order to retire early and enjoy your life. None of that ever panned out. And now, in retrospect, I realize that all this busy stuff, uh, all this building my empire was the excuse for something deeper down, the trauma deeper down that I wasn't facing and wasn't even aware of at the time. So I just want to say that neither Steve or I are saying that there is anything bad with wanting to make money or with working hard or with building an empire and ha having a nice, fat, stable career. Correct. Okay. That's a, we are not saying that in any way, shape, or form. Yes. What we are saying is that if you find yourself tending towards being unable to stop and also feeling guilty any moment that you're not being um, overproductive to maybe take a look at what's driving you. And sometimes it will be things like, I get, if you, if you look deep down, maybe there is a, a sense of your identity is coming through your ability to make money. And another thing is, you know, there may be a vague sense of guilt when you're not doing that. And that would be because you are somewhere deep in your belief system, you're valuing money or making money or being busy as something that is good and you're a good person if you're working hard. And if you are not working hard or if you are, okay, and then there's one other part of that and that is maybe family time or social time. Family doesn't have to be kids. You may not have to have kids or um, a spouse, but time with people you care about and love can bring up uncomfortable feelings because you find that with that social interaction or maybe with the um, difficulty and pain and the assness that kids can be, it brings up emotions. Yeah. And these emotions are uncomfortable. Like I know with my children, they, they triggered me all the time. And I had to address a lot of my problems because, you know, they reminded me of myself at that age and the stuff that I went through. So um, don't avoid your family by working. That's, that's something I'm going to say. And I also, um, on this subject, like just as we were beforehand, I've been listening to the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which not everybody has the opportunity to work four hours a week and make um, the kind of income that they need to survive. But what I really liked about it was the idea of true productivity, which is getting your needs met in less time working so that you have more time to spend on the kinds of things which are important to you in life. Yeah, that's a big one. And is checking your emails really that important? Yeah. Yeah, is it more I, important than kissing your kids goodnight? Is it more important than cuddling with your spouse? Really? Yeah, yeah it's it's really easy to say I've got to I, I've got to work I've got yeah. to work, uh, and I encourage people to really question that. Is um, what would happen if you didn't? 
And it's not always black and white. It's not, well, I'm either working, I've got to work at this job or else I'm homeless and I'm unemployed and I can never make another cent in my life again. No, those are extremes and they likely will not come to pass. But this job that you have now that demands 60-hour weeks routinely, 60, 70-hour weeks, and you say, I've got to work, ask yourself, why is it that you've got to work rather than I choose this? Do you have no choice in this matter? I like changing the language. Yeah. Because if I say I have to work, it's, it's not taking responsibility for that choice. Right. Often I'll say um, I'm choosing to work because I really want to get a few bills paid. Yeah. And, and also in that topic of what we choose is often we make assumptions without realizing it. Uh, for example, a man might believe, and this is more typical of men than women, um, and you'll see why as I say this, a man might believe, um, I've got to work, I want to bring in the big income because that's what my family likes. That's what they've grown to expect. And in some cases, it might be true. In other cases, if you actually talked with your spouse and with your children and asked them and told them, uh, understand this is what I'm doing is I'm working these long hours in order to provide you with a, a new bicycle and this kind of clothes and new iPad. Is this what you want to, is this what you want me to continue doing? Is this what you'd prefer? Or would you prefer something else? And they might surprise you by saying, you know, I'd be good with less income if I just had more time around you. And if you were less uptight, if you were just more relaxed, if you would just enjoy being with us, that's what I would prefer. I suspect that when people are less than pleasant to each other, they fall back on the excuse like so when the relationship is not that great or when there's some sort of conflict or a bit of stress men will often project that oh i'm just a paycheck to her um i need to keep on making this money otherwise you know there's not going to be anything there or she's not going to want to be in this relationship or or there's Mm -hmm. that and i would venture to say that work on the relationship itself is more valuable than the paycheck. Yeah. And I'm not saying money is not important because it is one of the most important things. We, ha- we need it to survive. I would also add to that, if it's true that all I am is a paycheck, if that is true, I would ask you to dig deeper and say, how did I get here? And, and why are you continuing? Yeah, Was she always this person who, who didn't look at me any deeper than a paycheck? Was I only the meal ticket? Was that the way it always was? Or was it true that at one time we loved each other and it was really wonderful? We enjoyed each other and it's just gradually progressed to all that's left is I'm a paycheck. And if that's the case, it's worth a deeper look inside to say, do I want to continue being this guy? Or do I want to improve my life? And learn how to become happier and not be wound up so deeply as I got to work and and learn to connect with people, including your spouse, including your kids, including other people, learning to connect with them so that they say their truth about you is, I just love being around this person. I just love being around them. So, you know, if if, you know what, Steve, I know that for a lot of people, it's far more uncomfortable, uncomfortable to address their core issues and learn how to communicate and learn how to be vulnerable and to have intimacy, that is more difficult than it is to pretend that they're unloved and the only value that they have to somebody is their paycheck Yes, and to be an unpleasant person yeah. whose family kind of resents. True. Like to them, that's a comfortable position to be in. True. It's uncomfortable to face their shit. 
Yeah. And I'm saying, you know, when you're 70, you're not going to thank yourself for making that avoidant decision. Yeah. A millionaire once told me, a personal friend who was a millionaire told me, he says, and he was, he was dying, literally dying from cancer. And I was holding his hand in the hospital. He said, Steve, you know something is that never in your life will you ever say, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. And he just laughed. Um, I had tears in my eyes, but he was laughing. And uh, yeah, that, that's such an obvious truth is that you will never think I should have spent more time at the office. You, you will never regret not spending enough time at the office, but you will surely regret, geez, I, I wish I would have done this with my kids so that when they were younger, that they would have bonded with me more and instead of hating me when they became teenagers, that, that would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Or, or I wish that this woman that, that used to be the love of my life didn't end up hating me. I, that would have been nice if that would have just continued that that wonderful, loving relationship. And, and the common element is, who are we? What do we contribute? And that's part of it, is, the, is what we contribute is much more than being busy, being productive. Part of our productivity could be the investment I make in this relationship. And that's not financial. That is, do I see you? Do I care about you? Does your well-being matter to me? Do I happily invest myself in your well-being? When you're having a breakdown, when you're having difficulty because of your trauma, am I the kind of guy who, who just jumps into defensive mode and gets pissy and storms off? Or am I the kind of guy who goes, oh, I'm feeling really crappy right now. I don't want to be around her. But yet I still walk to you and put my arm around you and say, look, I know you don't want to be hugged right now. I know I'm feeling crappy, but I, I just want you to know that I love you no matter what. And, and I'm not leaving you unless you decide. You don't want to be around me because I, I still want to do whatever I can to make your life better. And I do that gladly because I love you. So suck it up. That, that's hard to be in that place. It's mm-hmm. hard for people to step into that place because often we are so wounded that we don't know. We don't know we're wounded. We don't know how difficult it is to be vulnerable, to be loving to someone, to, to take rejection, what feels like rejection when your spouse is angry at you and slams the door instead of being pissy at them, instead of letting, instead of not talking to them is understand in this moment, they are being that wounded three-year-old child. That's, that's what they're feeling. That's what they're expressing. And that's what we're seeing. So would, a th- would we walk away from a three-year-old child and say, well, when they're ready to talk, that's when I'll talk with them. Or would we just go into the room and give them a big hug and say, I know you don't want to be hugged, but right now I need you to know that I love you. That's really important. That I want you to know that I love you. In spite of all my stuff, I'm, I'm doing my best trying to work through, through that. But just I need you to know in this moment that you're not alone. You're not facing this alone. I still love you. That's something that is hard to step into for many people. So food for thought. If you are feeling guilty about not being productive enough, and if you are feeling like you are just a paycheck, then um, <laughs> and if you were a better paycheck, then maybe you would be worth more to your spouse or loved more. I can tell you that's not true. Um, it's worth taking a deeper look at and having some deeper conversations. And certainly, um, if difficult times and a lot of stress has you being not very productive, go easy on yourself because uh, guilt certainly is not going to increase your productivity. Yeah. Be gentle on yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're not, nobody else is going to. Yeah. Yeah. We're our own worst enemy beating ourselves up. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. That is for sure. Yeah. So a good question to ask is being productive is okay. That's fine. 
uh, am I the kind of person who can only be productive or else I beat myself up if I'm not? Can I just not be productive? Can I be at peace when I'm not being productive in air quotes? Am I totally fine when I run away to the cottage with the kids and family and I just hang around with them? Do I enjoy their company? Am I at peace with that? Or am I thinking what I got to do at the office, what I got to do back at the shop? Steve, is there, um, like before we wrap up this one particular subject, is there something to that idea of the A-type personality? Like how does that relate to this subject in particular? Because some people, I I just can't believe how much they get done. And they seem to thrive on it. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. And yeah, how does that relate to all of this? So A-type personality are people that are hyper-achievers, hyper-aggressive um, drivers. They're the drivers they're, as opposed to laid-back people. Is uh, I would ask them, are you happy? Are, that's the first question is, are you happy? Do you love your life? Or are you still building the life that you will love one day? So I'm thinking of a few people who, who are A-types, and I would say they actually seem to be very happy. Okay. And, but part of that being happy is always driving, always on the go, and they enjoy it. So my question would be to them, uh, put that aside for a little while and just look inside yourself. How are you feeling? How are you feeling when you're still, when you're not active, when you're not productive? How does that feel? Are you just itching to get back? Or are you going, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. And I don't mean another distraction like watching TV or reading a book is can you be at peace? Meditation is a good thing or yoga, for example. Can you actually do a meditation for 20 minutes and, and be at peace with that? Is your mind still racing? Is it just figuring out a new way to leverage this new capital resource and, and, uh, and figure out how to get into the bond market? Is your mind still there or can you, can you be at rest? Because when someone says, I'm happy and I'm busy as crazy and I, I love it, I'm happy, that might not be the deeper story. Is It might be, I've eased my pain sufficiently and I'm not in much pain right now because I've got this wonderful distraction of busyness and I'm okay in this place. I don't want to talk about it any deeper. Don't want to look any deeper. I'm fine being in this place because I'm not feeling any pain. I'm numb right now, okay? Are your relationships good? Are you having, is your relationship with your partner? Is it wonderful? Your relationship with your kids, with your friends? Do you have a broad variety of friends? And if the answer is, yeah, I've got lots of friends. I enjoy that. It, my life with my friends is rich. Not all of them are A-types. A lot of them are people that just relax. When I hang out with them, we just sit at the cottage and do not do very little at all. We just sit around and just look at the lake. We can do that for a whole day just with my buddies. I can do that, and I love it. Awesome. Then your uh, A-typeness is not owning you. It's just one part of your characteristic. You have great relationships. Okay. You're happy. Yeah, that was what I was wondering. Is it just a, a personality characteristic or is it something else? And yeah. um, I think that a lot of times it's a personality characteristic. Yeah, can be. It's just part of who they are. And can be benign, totally non-destructive. It's just part of who they are. It's part of what they enjoy. And amazes me, actually. Yeah. Lots of energy there. All right, Steve. This was very enlightening and very useful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Always a pleasure uh, talking with you. Yeah, I thought I thought that it would be useful for a lot of people to understand the origins of this whole productivity is is godly and good. Yeah. And it isn't necessarily so. It, it is what it is. So before we wrap this up, would you feel comfortable talking about how you feel personally about this? in light of what we just talked about and within the context of how you don't feel good when you're not being productive. 
is there a shift there? Do you feel any sort of shift? Mm. It has more, t- you know what? Yes and no. Having a broader understanding helps in terms of, um, you know, I don't actually have to beat myself up about it, but at the same time, this whole productivity thing, knowing that there isn't something wrong with me for not hustling at all times doesn't actually help with the bigger picture in terms of survival and paying the bills. Yeah. You know, this circumstance right now wasn't my fault. You know, COVID-19 and shutting down work and all of that kind of thing. I didn't cause that. I didn't cause myself to be out of work, for example. Um, and it, you know, it's not an inherent fault in me that I was floundering. Mm-hmm. But knowing that still doesn't help pay the bills. Yeah. So, so you know, on one level, I don't judge myself as much. Um, on another level, it's still there's still like, well, you know, if you were a little more resourceful, or if you would worked a little harder, you could have done what some of the other people could have, would have done. You know, I know a lot of people move their businesses online, um, which I have not done yet. Although I'm working on it slowly yeah. after my camping, yeah. <laughs> after my fishing. <laughs> so, some a topic that dovetails into this we're going to wrap up and i'm going to extend this a bit longer a a topic that dovetails into this is on one hand there's the aspect that the thought of being productive i'm being productive i'm driving i'm doing this so something that might hold us back from that and cause us to beat ourselves up is not knowing that we're carrying some trauma such as i'm not good enough imagine a person who's got that trauma within them and isn't aware of it that there's something within the system not good enough. So when work comes their way, they could appear to be that A-type, that they're uh, they're driving really hard, they're successful at what they do, and then when the work dries up, they're without work, but they're not looking for work. And you, you might wonder, well, geez, I'm beating myself up because I should be more productive, but I'm not. And, and it's good to be productive, but why am I not productive? And there's that constant beating oneself up. And deeper down, there could be trauma that says, oh, I just don't, I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like people discover I'm a fraud. What's the point of applying for this contract when they'll take a look at my resume and think this guy's not good enough? And, and that's purely trauma speaking. Mm-hmm. And that, that relates, that's one aspect of how we can beat ourselves up for not being productive, how we can feel guilty for where we're at and not realize that the real root of this is this trauma of not feeling good enough. Right. Yeah. So there's just so many aspects that can interweave into this. But uh, the important thing, as you mentioned, is not to beat yourself up, to be compassionate with yourself, uh, to be bold enough to look inwards and say, what's inside me? What's really going on? What's my deeper story? Yes, I like not working. True. I love my free time. True, true. But there's something that's still eating at me. And, and is that just guilt about being not being productive? Is that it? Is that the real story? Is that the whole story? Or is there something deeper, such as some trauma within me that's going, uh, I don't feel inspired to even look because I feel it's hopeless, so why bother? And that's well, the re- what, what you, you just made me think of something, Steve. And yeah. um, I am going to do, and Steve doesn't know about this, but I am going to do a shameless plug for um, a colleague of mine who is absolutely fantastic, and he works with this kind of thing. Awesome. And you brought up that that, subject of not feeling good enough. 
Yeah. And having these internal blocks holding you back professionally and in other ways. And um, a local guy in Mississauga, Mohammed Sheikh of Coach the Mind, and I believe it's www.coachthemind.ca, is absolutely fabulous. He works with this, and he's brilliant. So I'm going to put a link also in the resources to him. Wonderful. Because, um, again, if, if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, I'm having problems with this, I would refer them to him yeah. as the guy to go to. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. This is great, Steve, and um, I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation. So am I. Um, both personally and in another podcast. Yeah. Sounds great. So okay. bye, bye for now, Freya. Talk to you soon, Steve.